Hello, have a seat, please. Good to see you guys. A new year, a new you. Everybody's showing up to church. Nice job. Woo, yeah. Gym. There's like no parking spots at the gym, and it looks like you guys came from the gym to here. <laughs> no, good to, good to see you all. I want to give you an update on what's, on what's happening. We, um, we were hitting you guys up for some cash at the end of last year, and we need to do a little accounting of that. We were calling that the Finish Strong campaign, if you remember. Um, we were looking to try to raise some cash for the end of the year. We're, we're trying to hire a full-time pastor here so we can have people support the body Monday through Friday and to, and to help us teach. So we wanted to raise some money for that. We wanted to um, get some extra cash to, to improve one of the sheds in the back so we can, so we can incorporate that into the, to the kids' area. We also wanted to put some money together for the future church plant. This church plant has been awesome. We've, we're like two years in now, almost two years in June, I guess, so a year and a half. Um, and we just want to do it again. Maybe not this year, but, but whenever God opens the door, whenever God makes it obvious, we want to be ready. We want to have some cash in the bank. So 38 grand came in from the Finish Strong campaign, which, was coo- which is cool, but before you, you think anything about that, we actually brought in like 100 or uh, to 110, I didn't get the total amount, 110,000 above our normal expenses uh, in the last couple of months of the year. So I think it was more than 38,000. People just didn't designate their gift as Finish Strong, but it probably, we can't attribute all of that to the Finish Strong campaign. So somewhere in the middle there, we've got like an extra 90 grand after we spent money on THX uh, to do those things that we just talked about. And I just gotta tell you, Thank you so much. That's a, that's a huge deal. That's, that, it's not a huge deal. It's a massive deal. We, we recognize how important money is, right? It, it helps us pay bills and support our families and, and kids and everything. And, I, and, I, and it is an honor to have people give. Like it is, it, it's just humbling to see that what we're doing here, it, it, people are excited about it enough to pull out their wallets and give. So, so thank you for that. Y- you should know uh, we still have expenses uh, throughout the rest of the year. So if you can, please consider giving regularly, not just at the end of the month, but, but every month. And I just want to make a shout out to people who want to give, but you're not in a financial spot to give. Uh, that happens to a lot of us because of debt and, and whatever, you know, things come up. And I just want to make a, a recommendation that you, if, you, if you've experienced God here, if you've experienced the gospel, you want to give, but you don't know that you can or should or whatever, and, and, and you want to still pay, pay down debt, and I think that's great, I would just ask, you would do something small, like five bucks a month. I know that's like, is that even worth your time to go online, outwardchurch.com slash give, and set this up on a monthly basis? But let me just tell you, it is, because that would indicate, like, I'm excited about what, what's happening at the church. I want to participate in a small way. You, it just, you don't have to be a hero and give $500 a month. You can just start small, and then we'll pray that God would bless you, that God would, like, shower you with cash to help you pay down debt and, and your expenses. My brother in Los Angeles actually prays that God would shower me with cash. He told me that the other day, and I was like... It's a little weird, uh, but I'll take it, you know? I keep, keep praying it. 
We will pray. Like I see those reports that come in. If people are given five bucks a month or whatever the small amount is that you can give, we will see that. We will know, dude, these people are with us. These people want to give. We want to pray that God would help your financial situation and then that God would work in you and motivate you to give to whatever ability he has, you know, blessed you with, with the income that you have. So that's just a plea for those of you who don't think it's worth it. I shouldn't give. I've got other obligations. Please just do it anyways. Go through the the work of of setting that up on a a monthly basis. I think that would be cool. And it would just be cool to see people, like, get on the board, essentially, right, And, and just participate in that with us. Okay, that's enough of the, enough of the update, the financial update. I have a sermon for you. <laughs> That's it. I don't know what's more annoying, that microphone or the helicopters that are hitting the roof from the, from the, uh, oh, hey, all right, thanks. Thanks so much for that. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to say that that was annoying. I know you guys are trying to work on that. Anyways, listen, diversity and unity. That's what we're talking about today. Diversity and unity. Those are two things that don't normally go together, right? If you have a diverse group of people with different interests and whatever classes and races and genders and, and ages, typically that's not marked by unity. And if you uh, have been paying attention, you see a buzzword, which is inequality, right? If you look at what the world is offering for us and what culture is offering for us, diversity can breed inequality, which can breed disunity. This is what, this is what um, we see from, from the world, and they're actually right. Diversity does kind of bring inequality. If you break up any group of, of society of the world and you bust us up into little uh, uh, parts, whether it's gender or race or age or class or nation or something, there's going to be inequalities. Not everything is going to be equal. And the world is obsessed with this inequality and obsessed with trying to find the answer for how do we resolve the inequality? How do we resolve diversity and inequality and and the disunity and the divisiveness that that diversity uh, kind of plays into? So I was trying to figure out what are the, what's a succinct way that the world, what culture thinks um, is the solution to resolve this diversity and, and inequality and disunity. So I asked the internet. I don't know if you guys have asked the internet anything, but now there's this website. Have you heard of this? Chat GPT. You can ask the website something and it will just write something out for you that like summarizes what's on the internet. It's freaky, but also kind of cool, kind of awesome. So I asked the internet, uh, I don't know what the website is, I just know it's called ChatGPT, somebody forwarded it to me. I asked, like, how do we resolve diversity and inequality, or diversity and disunity, I forget exactly what the question was, and out it wrote, like, this paper uh, explaining, it was just like one page, it was a succinct explanation of how the world is dealing with this, and it was all the normal stuff, the way that you, you know, that we push back and try to resolve inequality um, that stems from diversity is education. We need more education to educate, educate people on diversity. We need, um, that's crazy, education. We need uh, affirmative action. 
right? Which is like, kind of like reverse racism, but whatever. So education, we need affirmative action. We need uh, a redistribution of wealth, right? Take from the, from the wealthy and, and give it to the poor. And, and it had a number of other solutions for us. And I was like trying to boil it down. Like there was a bunch of different things there. And, and these are, the, the solutions I think can be succinctly um, said in two ways, twofold, right? In one, on one hand, the world wants us to celebrate diversity. We've seen the banners or whatever. We gotta celebrate diversity. We gotta incorporate diversity. You must be diverse in your life. I think that, you know, you should have friends that are different than you. Your, your work should be diverse. You should be hiring people that are not the same. You should be hiring all kinds of different people. We need to celebrate diversity. Diversity is great, and you should incorporate diversity in your life, and you should do it now. That's what the world, that's what the world is, is telling us on one hand. Celebrate diversity. But on the other hand, the world is saying we should eliminate diversity. You should get rid of diversity. There is no diversity. Take the male and female gender roles. What is the world telling us? There's no difference between male and female. We're interchangeable. We're perfectly equal. Whatever the man could do, the woman, woman could do. Whatever the woman could do, the man could do. Does that seem reasonable? Does that seem right? Are there some differences between men and women? women? I, we're raising a, uh, a child right now, a five-month-old. There are some things that my wife can do that I cannot do. We are not equal. I can, I can guarantee you that. So we're supposed to celebrate diversity, but we're also supposed to eliminate diversity, and we're supposed to close the gender gap. We're supposed to close the wealth gap too, right? People are, are too diverse. People are too, too successful. We should take money from them, and we should give it, to the, give it to poor people. It feels a little bipolar. It feels a little nonsensical to consider these two things the solution to the problem. And I got to tell you, it's not going to work. It's not celebrating diversity. I don't care how loud you yell it. That's not the answer, and it's not eliminating diversity. I don't, I don't care how, how close you get to equality. We are just, frankly, not all the same. The reason this doesn't work is because it searches within. We, it is looking for answer within. It is focused on the individual. It's focused on our diversity. Either it should be greater, the diversity should be greater, or it should be lesser. But it's based on the individual. That's what culture is saying. We need to, we need to express ourselves through our individual. We need a, uh, individualism. We need to dig a little deeper into our diversity, into ourselves, into our differences. The problem is when you look deep within, we're not going to find unity. That's the antithesis of unity. To look deep within ourselves, we will find disunity and division when we're constantly focused and obsessed on what makes us different or what makes us the same, we're focused on ourselves. What should we do instead? We should take the focus off ourselves. We should be looking to something bigger. We should be looking to something greater than ourselves. Should we not? Culture says diversity is where the solution lies. But our passage today in Scripture says we should look to God. 
as our source of unity and to the body, to the church body that we could be unified to. We should reject individualism and submit. Don't you love that word, submit? That's not a buzzword that a lot of people are talking about. We should reject our individualism and we should submit to the God of unity, the God of diversity, the God that created diversity, the God that is diverse, and the God that displays unity and diversity perfectly. That's where we're going today. That's what Paul is talking about. Annie read, I'm going to go back to uh, the beginning of chapter 4. We're actually just covering verses 4 through 6, but it feels like we should should ramp up a little bit and we should go back to the beginning of chapter 4, which is just a few verses ahead. He says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, uh, like this is insane. Is that rain? Yeah? Wow. Okay, it's opening up now. So Paul says, back in the beginning of chapter 4, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing one another with one another in love. So Paul's given us uh, instructions here. He's telling us, you should be worthy. Your walk should be worthy. You should have humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So he gives us some instructions, just like culture gives us some instructions. Culture tells us you should be diverse. You should celebrate diversity. But you know what culture never does? It gives you reasons for those things. They never give you reasons. You know what Scripture does? It gives us a reason to be unified. And that's what comes in verse 4. It says you should be eager, you should be excited, you should be passionate about maintaining the unity of the Spirit because, and then in verse 4, he gives us the reasons. There is one body, there is one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Did you catch all the ones? There's seven different ones there. Paul is laying it out for us. Seven is a a special number. It's the perfect number. I don't know enough about it to give you a a, a big lecture on that. But there's seven ones there. But if you look deep inside those seven, what do we find? We find three. Three important ones. One spirit... One Lord, which refers to the Son, and one God and Father. Paul is telling us we should maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And the reason is, he's pointing us to God. Our triune God. The God in three persons. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit. There's something about the Trinity that's going to help us understand unity and diversity. There's something about the Trinity that can help give us motivation, that can help give us power and give us reasons for us to unite with each other, regardless of whatever the differences we have with each other. Before we get into the Trinity, 
and uh, put our thinking caps on because the Trinity is a bit of a mind bender. Like, I just want to say that there is some examples of unity in the world right now. I make it sound like there's, no, there's never any groups that are unified even though they're, they're diverse, and that's not true. In the church, we have some examples, and I could give some examples of that, but one thing, one area that I've seen that actually shows even more unity in diversity is a different group that I've heard of recently. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Alcoholics Anonymous, but I've gotten to know a little bit about Alcoholics Anonymous through, a, through somebody I know who's been a part of it. They have displayed incredible unity to this person. He went to, okay, so I sent this person to a church, and he's been a part of a church for a year. He's been in AA for 90 days. He told me the other day, in the 90 days that he's been at AA, AA he has 10 friends, 10 like hugging friends, like, how are you? Good to see you, like, not just Facebook friends, but, but real friends. He's been at church for a year, not this church, a different church. He's been at church for a year, helping to set up and tear down, helping and in, being involved in the church. Do you know how many friends he's got at that other church? Zero. You walk into AA, and they like assault you. At least, I know that all AAs aren't the same, and maybe there's different experiences that people will have, and this is like anecdotal a little bit, but this is, what is happening at this AA, at these meetings, is, is what we want the church to be like, if I'm honest. You walk into AA, they like corner you, they assault you, they get your, they get your phone number, they don't let you leave until, until you give them their phone number, and then they like harass you, they call you every day, hey what's up man, how you doing, how you feeling, do you feel like drinking, have you been drinking, like what's going on, what decisions can I help you with, like I experienced this, hanging out with this guy, watching his phone ring, saying what, who is that, why do they keep calling you, oh it's a guy I met at AA last week. Do you know him? Like, no, I just met him, but they just do this. They just call you until, uh, un, you know, un, until you tell them not to call you, essentially. And then after, after a bit, after you, you, you've gotten sober or you've started the sobriety process, you get a sponsor, and the sponsor wants you to call him every day. And so this guy has to call the sponsor, and the sponsor asks him the same questions. How you doing? How you feeling? Have you, have you been drinking? Have you been... Uh, do you feel like drinking? Is there anything I can support you with? Is there anything I can help, help you in? Any decisions you need to make? Let me talk through it. He gets upset when he find, gets advice from other people because the sponsor wants to give him advice. Isn't that insane? What support? What like, what a great organization on a mission of sobriety, looking to support each other, looking to, looking to help each other. Why is AA doing that better than the church? I think there are reasons. One reason that I think that might be is that there's no superiority. I can't say that like a blanket statement. I'm sure there's some arrogant jerks in AA, but like there's less superiority complexes in AA. Whether you are, and this is from LA, remember, whether you're a successful Hollywood actor, which sometimes shows up in these meetings, or whether you're uh, somebody who's lost everything and you're, and you're struggling, you're all alcoholics. You're all drunks. You're there because you're broken. 
So the pretenses, the superiority goes away. Everybody is humbled. They're different. They're diverse. They got different interests. They got different financial situations. They're different ages. They're different all these things. But they're equal. It's a level playing field. Everybody is humbled in AA. And I think that's probably helpful for them, right? To connect with each other, to unite with each other. You know what AA doesn't have, though? As cool as, as, cool as that is. AA does not have God. AA does not have the unity of the spirit, capital S. Not the, not the uni, not a spirit of unity, but unity of the Holy Spirit. That's what we have. We have been given the Holy Spirit as Christians. That unites us as a body. We have been given the spirit. We have been given God to help us unite with each other, regardless of how diverse we are and whatever, the, whatever the, our interests are. There's lots of diversity in this room. I realize race is not one of them. <laughs> but we got a lot of different interests. We got a lot of different situations. We got a lot of different ages and classes and, and different things going on. The God that created diversity the God that is diverse in the Trinity and the God that is the perfect representation of unity in diversity is the God that we celebrate and that we worship and that we submit to. Okay, so let's talk about this. Let's talk about the Trinity. How is the Trinity diverse? How is the Trinity united? I read up on this, uh, Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology is like a great book if you're a nerd um, and you want to learn all kinds of theology. It's not a really like great read. It's not a book you read all the way through, but um, there's 26 pages on the Trinity and I read some of them uh, to, try, <laughs> to try to give you something that's not heresy, okay? Because <laughs> just, I'm serious, put your thinking caps on, all right? The Trinity is a, is a mind bender. The Trinity is diverse. There is inequality in the Trinity. Did you guys know that? There is inequality and there is perfect equality in the Trinity. Okay? Wayne Grudem summarizes the Trinity in three different ways. God is three persons. Each person is fully God. And there is one God. All right? God is three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They're distinct. They're different. Each of those persons is fully God. It's not like the Father is one-third and the Holy Spirit is another third and the Son is a, a third of God. That's not how it works. It's not like a three-leaf clover, right? You got one clover, but you've got three parts. If you pull one of the leaves off the clover, what do you have? You don't have a three-leaf clover. So that metaphor, and a lot of metaphors fail to understand the Trinity perfectly because it's a mind-bending bit of a mystery, okay? Three distinct persons, each person is fully God on their own, and there is just one God. They are perfectly united, even though they're distinct and they're different. So how are they different? 
They differ in their roles, right? That God the Father is the planner. He's the one that plans and directs in creation and in redemption. God the Father sits back, and what does he do? He directs the Son and the Spirit, right? In creation and in redemption. Let's just take redemption for a second. God sits back and plans and says, you know what? I'm not going to go die for their sins. I'm going to send my Son who's going to go and die for their sins. So he sends the Son, the Father, has authority over the Son. The Son is subordinate to the Father. You guys tracking with me? The Son does the will of His Father. The Son comes to live with us, lives a perfect life, dies a horrific death, and He, and he dies. It wasn't the Father that died. It wasn't the Holy Spirit that died. It's just the Son. He has a different role than God the Father that sits back and plans and directs things. And then after the Son leaves, what does He leave behind? He leaves us the third person, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is subordinate to God the Father and God the Son. So both the Father and the Son can direct the Holy Spirit. That's how they're, that's how they're distinct. That's how they have separate roles. But don't confuse these priorities and these authorities as superiorities. Just because the Father sits back and directs different people does not make the Father superior to the other members of the Trinity. They are all equal. They are all fully God, and they are one. They are one God. Each one of them are not, is not a separate God. Wayne Grudem says they are equal in being, equal in attributes, equal in value, but they are subordinate in role. Do you see how there can be unity and diversity in the same area? This is the God of the Trinity. This is our God, the God that we worship. This is the perfect representation of unity and diversity. Unity and diversity also shows up in human relationships. We look at a marriage. We'll just start with a, we'll just start with a good one, Marriage. There's not three people in a marriage, at least not at this church. I think that's down the street. There's two people, right? It's not tri-unity. It's just two people in unity. Different people, different, different persons, but united, one body, one mind, one spirit. I'm going to read a verse, and I'm hoping that no one's going to throw anything at me when I read this verse. It's 1 Corinthians 11.3, just to give us an idea of the different roles we might have in, in marriage. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11.3, But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a woman is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. That's not a super popular verse. This is indicating there is some, some different roles here. There's some kind of authority that a man has in the house that's different than the woman's. But what do we know? What do we know about the, the authority here? What do we know about these different roles? Because there's different authorities, that doesn't mean there's superiorities. Does that make sense? We have different roles. You can't, you can't deny that and you can't equalize those. That doesn't work. But it but it doesn't mean there's different value. 
Each, the man and the woman, the husband and the wife, are equal in value, in dignity, in personhood, and in humanity. And there's something else. This is, this is just a little side note that, I, that blew my mind this week. Children are like the Holy Spirit. If a husband and a wife are blessed to have children, who is that child subordinate to? The mother and the father. Just like the Holy Spirit is subordinate to the father and the son. Is that crazy? Some of the stuff I was learning for like the first time, I haven't thought of it this way. Okay, let's move on from marriage. We have marriage, we have races, unity and diversity in races, like Jews and Gentiles. We learn about these in, in, uh, in the Bible here. Different, so different, hate each other, different culturally, they can't stand each other. What do we learn in Scripture? They're equal in being, they're equal in personhood and humanity. I know the NFL puts like end racism on the, on the end zone or something, but it started here, man. This is where, this is where we learn that, that racism is, a, is an issue and that we need to work through that, not through culture, not online. It's not this, the new campaigns that we're seeing about. It started here. We are different, though, absolutely diverse in our races, but equal in being. How about at work? We got a grunt who's doing the... Doing the heavy lifting, you got a manager that's that's uh, directing the the grunt, and then you got what somebody the, who owns the business, who has the pressures of owning a business. Different roles, all working together to accomplish something, whatever the whatever the work of the of the business is. Different roles, but equal, absolutely equal, not superior to one another, but different. You see that in a symphony. Different artists, different, different people, different gifts, different instruments, all working together for one beautiful piece of music. And we saw that with the Buffalo Bills this week. It actually, it actually was something like the Buffalo Bills, right? They're all one. They're 53 men working together to, to um, accomplish something. A bunch of different positions, a bunch of different roles, like they're a brotherhood. They're, they're, they spend more time with their family, I heard this week, than they do, I'm sorry, they spend more time with each other than they do with their family during the season. And then when one of their buddies goes down, when Damar Hamlin goes down, what happens? They all go down. Grown men, dude, huge, like tough guys, like in tears, like devastated. They're different. They got different roles, but when one of their own go down, they all go down. This is a beautiful representation of unity and diversity. They are diverse, completely diverse, separate in so many ways, but also united. All these are, are, are decent examples, but you know what the best example is? It's right here. It's the church body. This is where the the display of unity and diversity should shine like no other. We've got many of us here this morning, many members, many gifts, many different interests working together to support each other and to submit. There's that pesky word again. Submit to each other. Connected to each other in Christ. One body with many different parts. Listen, some of you are really helpful, like a hand or a foot 
or an eye. Some of you are like a heel <laughs> or an armpit. <laughs> Who are the heels and armpits? No, don't answer that. Don't answer that, that question. <laughs> Listen, if we are all one body, all participating, all caring for each other, all bearing with one another in love, when one part of the body is sick and hurting, we all hurt, right? When you bust your arm, like I have, when you bust both arms, like I have, like the whole body is sick. It's not just the arm. That's what we've seen recently. We've got some, some heavy losses that we've taken in this community, and we have seen examples of our church body uniting around people that are struggling through the loss of a loved one. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful representation of unity and diversity. We are connected, united in the cause, united in the call, and we're united by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit, which comes and lives inside of us, which enables us to even believe, is the comforter, is the helper. And we can call the Holy Spirit the unifier. The unity of the Holy Spirit is what we get when the, when the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. If you think about the body, the Holy Spirit, according to Martin Lloyd-Jones, is like the blood. The Holy Spirit is what circulates through us. It's what makes us alive. It's what keeps us alive. When one bleeds, we all bleed. The Spirit unites us Everybody connected and engaged. And what happens when you connect and engage with anybody, not just the church body, but any, anybody? You might get frustrated. You might get irritated. You might get ticked at somebody. This is inevitable. This is what happens to each other when we're connected and engaged. I just want to say, if you've experienced that, don't sweat it. This is normal. It's actually good because then we get to go back to the Spirit and say, help me be, what do we hear about? Humble, patient, gentle. Help me to bear with one another in love. Help me understand that my brother or my sister has that same spirit of unity. Help me, help me uh, not focus and dwell and upset, uh, obsess on our differences, but I want to unite with these people. The Holy Spirit helps us unite in relationship, the Holy Spirit helps us unite just in the church. You may be irritated, not with somebody, but with the church. Maybe the sermons aren't that great, which is likely the case for you. <laughs> Maybe the music is too loud. Let me tell you, we do try to turn it down. I'm serious. We're like, come on, we should probably turn it down a little bit. It's hard for us to turn it down. I don't know why. There may be lots of reasons why you, you might be irritated or frustrated with the church. I would just submit to you, listen, would you unify with us? Would you unite together with this body by the Spirit? And if you're not frustrated and you're not irritated, it might be because you're not connected to the body. Because you only come occasionally and you're not necessarily feeling that, that frustration and irritation. And I would tell you that's... Not being connected to the body is as bad as being connected and complaining all the time about, about the body. Join with us. Come to church. Connect 
Talk to the gals in the back about connecting. Join a community group. Join, come to essentials. Come to basic that we're going to have at the, end of the, at the end of the service. Get to know who we are. We are missing a vital part of the body when, when our church members are not connected to us. One spirit has called us into the one body of the church through the one hope of the eternal life in the gospel of Christ. A guy named Koken said that. These are the first three ones. One spirit, one body, connected through the one hope. That one hope of forgiveness. That one hope of mercy, of grace, of peace, of eternal life. That hope is what connects us, what unites us. Listen, if you want that hope, if you're not feeling the hope, but you're feeling the, the divisiveness, whether it's your own doing or whether somebody is being divisive and, and uh, plaguing you, listen, I got the solution for you. That one hope comes from the one Lord. That's the next one. The one Lord who is perfectly united to the Father and who is perfectly united with the Spirit has always been united, who always will be united, except for one instance. The one Lord, Jesus, crawled up on that cross, asked God to, to, to save him from that cross, and for one time and one time only, God turned his head away from his son and let his son feel the disunity and the divisiveness of the Father. That is the one Lord, and we should put our one faith in that one Lord. He took the disunity, he took the divisiveness that we deserved from the Father. He embodied that, the Father let him die, and he died a death because of us. God didn't let him stay dead. God rescued him, resurrected him, united him again, and we can be resurrected. We can be united back to the Father when we put one faith in the one Lord, and that leads to one baptism. That's the sixth one. When we put our one faith in our one Lord, our one master, our one savior, our one king, when we do that, we have been cleansed from our divisiveness. We have been cleansed of how we, we promote a, a, a character of disunity oftentimes rather than unity. We've been cleansed from that. And then we show the physical representation of that through baptism that we do periodically. Where we go under the water, that shows that our sinful lives have died with Christ. And then we're raised again up from the water. That shows we are new people. We are a new resurrection. United again with the Father. One baptism. One faith. One Lord. And it's all because of our one God and Father. How does it end here? Our one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. God the Father has been planning and directing everything from the beginning, and he's going to plan and everything for eternity. If you want that one hope, if you want that one faith, man, it's yours. 
Whether you've believed that before or whether you've never believed it, we got you. We're going to go through a time of communion in, a, in just a few minutes, and, and we'll have an opportunity there for you to pray the prayer again, a prayer that says, I want to, I want to reject my individualism. I want to s- stop obsessing about my diversity, and I want to submit to God the God of unity, the God of diversity, the God that displays perfectly unity and diversity. The last thing I would say for our church is that people are walking through our doors that stick out. Okay? We need to remember this. People walk, people walk through these doors. Thanks, Neil. They stick out. They feel judged. They're not, part of the, they're not part of the crew. It might take everything they have to step foot in this church. As cool as this church is, this has got to be the least like, uh, intimidating place to come, I would think. It's awesome here. But still, that happens. I was just talking to somebody the other day who says, I can't come to church. That's not me. That's not my scene. All I feel is judgment, whether it's irrational or not. We need to know that people come into this church and they feel rejected. They feel different than everybody else. And we you need to unite around them. We need to like welcome them. We need to hug them. We need to stick our hands out and harass them. We need to get their phone numbers and connect with them and offer to support them and do whatever it takes to bring them in and help them see the hope of the one Lord, the one faith, and the one baptism. This is the spot that this should happen. This is, it should not happen anywhere else as good as it happens in the church. We have a lot to learn in this, in this area. We need to do a better job of that. It also means that if you're here and you're feeling that way and you're broken, you don't feel like you fit in and you're not connected, you need to stick your hand out. You need to come and try to connect with us. We're not great at this. We're working on it. I think we're pretty good at, at trying to get people connected, but we've got a lot further to go. We want to be the shining example. We want to reflect the glory of our God who has uni- unity and diversity completely figured out. We want to do that. We want that to happen in this church this year. Let me pray that God would help us do this right now. Father, we, uh, God, we desperately want to be that, to be a place of unity and diversity. God, you are the great example, as always. We are humbled at, at how you do it. We, we are sinful. We are marked maybe more by divisiveness and disunity than unity, and we need help. I need help. Me first. Not focusing and obsessing on our differences or our similarities, our superiority, our different roles, whatever makes us different. Help us forget about that. Help us take, take our, our eyes off ourselves. Help us reject our individualism and help us look up to see you, how great you are, how magnificent you are. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all three of you,
we appeal to you. We ask you, Father, that you would direct us, that you would plan and direct this church into a new era of unity. That the Son, that we would put our faith in Him, that we would see Him, that He he took the disunity that we deserved of the Father. He took it for us. He died, but He rose again. He didn't stay dead. We pray and we ask for the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of unity. We pray that the Spirit would come and fill us up, that the Spirit would would take over, would compel us, that you you would overwhelm our own will, our own sinful desires. You would overwhelm our will through the Holy Spirit to be united regardless of our differences and regardless of our disunity. God, we love you. We pray this in your name. Amen.